0: Good morning. Glad to see each one of you this morning. We come into this place this morning and we are children of the Most High God, the One that who is alive and well. We're, we're children of the one who saved us, who rescued us from, from our past and has given us new life. And so we gather into this place this morning to rejoice in his presence and to thank him and to honor him for all that he's done for us. So I invite you to stand and let's thank God this morning for all that he's done for us.
1: With all my might I just can't win the fight Turn me around, you placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior. Because you healed my heart, you changed my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior. I thank God. I cannot deny what I say. I've gone come to leave my doubts are burning Like ashes in the wind no longer to my old friends Burden and bitterness, you can't just keep them moving You ain't welcome here Now till I watch streets of gold you saved my soul. Change my name, Whatever free, I'm not the same.
0: I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. Amen. Amen. We'll turn to that person next to you and say, you know what, you're a child of God, you're a new creation, say good morning and then you can be seated.
2: God, I thank you for your provision. You're amazing. The work that you're doing in people's lives is just so cool. And and i just seeing people grow in the faith and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the provision that you've given to us as a church and, and, and church families, Lord, we are blessed. And it's out of that abundance of blessing that we want to bless you back. We want to give back to you the first fruits of that which you've given to us as an act of worship. It's not that you need money, God but it is your way to to help your children become good stewards of that which you've given. And so, Lord, we want to honor you and recognize you as the giver of all things. We praise you. We thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, lead us in our time of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Our God is a God who loves us, who saves us and he's worth rejoicing over all that he's done for us from where he's brought us to who we are now in Christ. And so we want to teach you this new song. We invite you to just listen to this lyric. And remember when. Remember where you were before Christ, and then we're going to celebrate where we are in Christ today.
1: Remember those walls that we called sin and shame? They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we called death and grave? They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came and he died and he rose. Those giants are
0: dead now. Sing that with us. Remember those
1: walls. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those walls are now. Remember those giants we called Death and Grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came, and he died, and he rose those giants are dead now. This is our God. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. For the cross, Meet the grave. Remember that fear that took our breath away? Feigned so weak that we could barely pray. But he heard every word, every whisper. Now those altars in the wilderness. Nobody but Jesus Who pulled me out of that pit He did, He did Who paid for all of our sin Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave Yahweh, Yahweh Who gets the glory and praise Nobody but Jesus Who rescued me from that grave? Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise? Nobody but Him. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. For the cross, beats the grave, that heaven and earth This is our God, King Jesus. For the cross be the grave that heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God, King Jesus. no. Oh. It's your breath. Great are You, Lord.
0: Father, thank You for all that You do for us. As we just sang, Your love, Your light, You pierced our darkness. You gave us hope. You restored us. You made us your children. New creations in Christ. We're not the same that we used to be. But everything is new. Each and every day. can wake up with hope. We can wake up with purpose. And we can know that we know. That we are deeply loved.
1: I believe you gave sight to the blind. I believe that the dead came to life. I believe there were wonders and signs. And you're still the same. I believe every word that you said. I believe there are scars in That your goodness is good without end And you'll never change I will tell of your wonders Sing of your grace The God of creation knows me by name The Lord is faithful Yesterday, now and always All Mercy is mighty, age after age, all generations bow down and praise the Lord. Of your wonders, King of your race, the God of creation, knows me by name, the Lord. All generations will bow down and praise. The Lord is faithful. Yesterday, now and always
0: We sing that from the depths of our hearts this morning, Lord. And we put our trust in you. And we know those words to be true, because time and time and time again. You've shown each one of us your faithfulness and your goodness. So we stand here as your people this morning grateful totally grateful for all that you've done for us. Lord, may we never ever take for granted or be less amazed at just even being able to wake up again this morning with breath filling our lungs. And you have a great plan for us today, tomorrow, the day after. And it's all an opportunity to get to know you better, to get to continue to be reminded of who you are. But God, also, we want to be doers of your word. And we want to be proclaiming to other folks your goodness, and your grace, so that they can join the party as well. We love you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen.
2: Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 23 as we continue our study through Luke's account of the Acts of the Beginning of the Church. And in this study, there's some challenges that we're going to see and hopefully come out with a greater understanding of God's plan for us. Charles Spurgeon once wrote this, Let us trust in God and be very courageous for the gospel, and the Lord himself will protect us from all harm. Trust is something that we all struggle with. Everyone does. At some level, the ability to trust is hindered by our, our past practices, experiences, presuppositions, the things that, that challenge us within that, maybe past hurts and these things. And it's really hard sometimes to trust God, especially when you can't envision the plan that God has for you. It'd be really nice if God would sit down and have a meeting with you and say, Hey, here's what I got for you between now and the rest of your life. Give me the detail plan. Wouldn't you like that? I wouldn't. I don't want to know. (laughs) Because what if it's stuff I don't want to go through? That's scary when you think about it. But when we're trying to move forward, it's tough. It's tough to trust God, especially when certain things are unfolding. It's hard to trust God when you're diagnosed with a a chronic debilitating or, or terminal disease. And you ask the question, why God? It's hard to trust God when, when you're trying to move forward in your life, but you continually hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. You're going, God, what's going on? And you struggle with that. It's hard to trust God sometimes in reconciling relationships with others when you are trying to do everything the right way. And you're constantly rejected or, or other things are happening within this. And then there's people. People. You know, it would be great if people wouldn't get in the way of, of, of following God's plan, wouldn't it? I mean, the world would be awesome if it didn't have people in it, if it was just you and God. That would be cool, wouldn't it? But then there's people that get in the way and, and you're trying to follow God and do what God wants you to do. And you have all of these people that are inserting themselves in what you think is the perfect plan between you and God. And we struggle with this. And we want people to get out of the way. You know, it's like, don't you understand? This is the direction that God has set for my life. This is the way I need to go. And get out of my way. But they keep getting in the way. And, and so we have all of these people problems that end up happening. And is it really a people problem? Or is it a lack of our understanding of God's sovereignty? Hmm. Sovereignty. What does sovereignty mean what does sovereignty mean to you because we give we give power to words by the definition in which we had attached to them in sovereignty and, and sovereignty especially when we're speaking of divine sovereignty is this by definition it's God's all-encompassing will to rule over all things created in other words God is in charge of everything created. Do you believe that? Yeah, I kind of do. Some of you do. God has authority over all things. And at times, God will delegate that authority to other authorities, like kings and governors and presidents and all of these others. He will delegate that authority And give human authority, but understand this, there is no authority that is in charge that doesn't first submit to God. God is in charge of all and all authority. Now if God is sovereign, and he is, and he delegates his authority out to other rulers, then ultimately whatever the other rulers are doing all fall under the sovereignty of God. So if I stop trying to trust in the people, but I really trust in God, I can look past the people and really see what God's doing. Now, there are things that God does that I don't get. I really wish God would reveal his plan. At least just give me a heads up before it happens. Wouldn't you like that? Just, just let me know. Let, just give me a heads up. I know you're going to I know this is going to happen. Just just let me know uh, ahead of time and it would be good to know the plans ahead of time. But there's this thing that God is growing in each one of us and it's called faith. Oh, there's that word, faith. That means trusting in the unseen. Trusting in the sovereignty of God because if God told you everything ahead of time, you wouldn't have to have faith. It would be it would be a sure thing. And really trusting in that which you cannot see. And so what we have to do is we have to become wise people. How do we become wise people? The wise person says, I have limited knowledge and understanding, but I have a God that is sovereign over all. And I'm going to rest in that. But as I said, we're a people that would like to know. I'm reminded of a passage in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Where God would explain himself to Isaiah in, in a sense, he would say, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heaven are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts within that. What does that mean? That means that God is above our pay grade, that God's ways are above our understanding. And we just have to sit back and say, God, you're in charge. And we trust in you. But the other part of it is this. If God is sovereign, and he is, and if God delegates his authority to other authorities for the purpose of completing his will, and he does, then I can understand another thing. Regardless of the knuckleheads that are out there, nobody can stop the will of God from being accomplished. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you say, well, what does it have to do with Paul in our account? Paul was told by Agabus as he was coming into Jerusalem, when you go, you're going to be chained. You're going to be put in prison. And it started the, the chapter in Paul's life of entering into imprisonment. He would spend about five years in imprisonment and house arrest and in these conditions. Paul wanted to go to Rome. God said, you're going to go to Rome, but he didn't tell him how he was going to get there. God may give you promises, but he doesn't explain, explain the whole plan wholeheartedly. He just says it's going to be difficult. And we last left Jesus, or Paul hearing from Jesus in verse 11, where he says, take courage As for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, you must also witness in Rome. Why? Because Paul by this time had been beaten, rejected by the church, rejected by his own people, just about whipped by a Roman centurion, and is in a jail cell going, I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming. And in this they're trying to figure out How do I go forward? And Jesus says, take courage. Take courage. Why? Because I've got this. And God is going to move. Here's one of the things that we'll learn today. God is always at work and always moving and moving behind the scenes even though you don't see Him. And He is moving people into positions and places to accomplish His will for your life, even though you don't see Him in all of this. And so we're going to see a behind-the-scenes, behind-the-curtain, if you will, of God's fulfilling His Word and His will for Paul's life and for ours. So let's stand as we read through our passage this morning. Acts 23, verses 12-35. to 35, says this, When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they killed Paul. Now there are more than 40 who formed this plot and they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we've killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander, bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation, and we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes to the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush, and he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me, To lead this young man to you, since he has something to tell you. Commander took him by the hand and stepped aside and began to inquire of him privately. What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council as though they were going to inquire something somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them. For more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him, who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. The commander let the young man go, instructing him to tell no one that you have notified me of these things. And he called to him two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. And they were to provide mounts to Paul and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And as he wrote the letter having this form, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council and I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. Well, so the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul, brought him by the night to Antropos. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go with him, they returned to their barracks, and when these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when they had read it, he asked from what province he had, and he learned that he was from Cilicia. And he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium." May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Life's about to get really interesting for Paul. He's in this... Cell. He's in this prison there in the Antonio Fortress. And he's got this word from Jesus that he needs to take courage within this. Now, understand this. God never sleeps. God never misses anything. He is always active, fulfilling His will for you. Now, I want you to ponder on that principle for a minute. You think about how many people are in this room, how many people are in Oregon, how many people are in the world, how many believers that God is working at one time, in time, fulfilling his will for every individual life. Blows your mind when you think about it. That God knows you personally. How big is God? How sovereign is God? That He would be active in your life personally and preparing people and preparing situations and all of this in order for His will to be fulfilled in your life simultaneously with everybody else. That's a big God. It's amazing how He is doing that work. He's a personal God. Paul's life would fall into imminent danger in Jerusalem as the wicked Jews were going to take matters in their own hands. Now, it wasn't like God was looking down and going, didn't see that one coming. He knew it. He knew it before Paul ever even got to Jerusalem because it was all part of God's plan and to get Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea to Rome. It's all part of God's plan. Paul didn't know it. So Paul is reacting in time, but God is outside of time. God's aware of those that would seek to harm you. One of the things that I mentioned earlier is the people. What about all these people that are there? As Paul was told to take courage, these 40 zealous Jews who didn't get their way in having Paul killed have now decided to take an oath. These 40 Jews said, look it, we are going to take an oath. We are going to take an oath against ourselves. And it was a special oath. The, the word is anathemes, and it's anathema, if you're, if you're familiar with that word. It literally means to invoke divine harm if what is promised is not fulfilled. In other words, they're calling down death upon themselves from God if they don't fulfill their oath. We're not going to eat, we're not going to drink anything until Paul is dead. Now, again, you've got to understand Near Eastern culture. This is not like Western culture, like, okay, you know, I promised to do that. No. When they take an oath like that, they are serious. They are serious. And so these 40 Jews, and you think about how serious they are. We are willing to die if we don't kill Paul. We're willing to take on the Roman army to get to Paul. They get this plan, and and they they are serious about this. Is Paul's life in jeopardy? Absolutely. We think about this anathema. It is such. It's a serious thing. Peter would even use this this form, this oath, when he swore by oath, not knowing who Jesus was. It was anathema in Mark 14, 71. Now, according to the missionary, the law, the oath itself was only reversible if a supreme power or or event took place that kept you from fulfilling that oath. Well we think about who is that supreme power? Be God. In their mind it would be the Roman army as they would that they would take. It. And and you can't miss who did they talk to? These forty Jews that decided they're going to kill Paul, they go to the council of the Sanhedrin who by the way didn't get their way. And they say, look, let's conspire together. Your part is to call Paul out by the commander so that you're going to give this pretense of thoroughly examining him. While he's on his way, we're going to kill him. Question. What level of hatred does this rise to? What level of hypocrisy does this rise to these religious leaders that were supposed to be adhering to the law are going to kill an innocent because Paul mind you is still innocent no charges are against him innocent man and they're conspiring with these Jews to to assassinate Paul how corrupt have they become do we have people like that in our world today are there people that will do anything and everything they can to undermine you, attack you? Maybe you have felt that way or felt like we never saw that coming. And, and it's, it's not like they didn't even do that to Jesus. Matthew 26, 3-5 to says this, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth. And kill him. But they were saying not during the festival. Otherwise a riot might occur amongst the people. These are the chief priests. Let's kill Jesus. But not during the festival. Because it's a holiday. Really? There will be times in your life. When people will look to attack you. Hurt you. Undermine you. Challenge you. And you'll never see it coming. Because mind you, Paul doesn't know about this yet. This is all happening behind the scenes. But yet God knows. God knows and he is already at work. And so what does he do? He directs Paul's nephew to be at the right place at the right time. We see here in, in verses 16 on, it says this, that the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush and came and entered into the barracks, and told Paul, and then Paul told the centurion to take him there. One of the things that I think is interesting is the divine appointment. Now, we, we're not told much about Paul's family, are we? It, it's guessed, rightfully so, and I think there's some truth in it, that Paul at one time was married. Because you had to be married to be part of the Sanhedrin. So Paul was at one time married, whether he was widowed or divorced. Perhaps she left after he became a Christian, we don't know. But well, we know that he most likely was married. We know that now that he has a sister and he has a nephew. The word nephew there literally is nianos, And it means somebody that is in the 20 to 30 age bracket. So he's not a little kid. And he overhears this plot. Of these people talking, whether it was he was overhearing it with the Sanhedrin and the and the Jews and this plot or whatever, but he gets the news and he has access to Paul. And you say, Well, how does he do that? Well, keep in mind, Paul's a Roman citizen and he's held under protective custody. There was three different kinds of, of custody in the Roman Empire. There was the public custody. It's called public custody because you were in jail because you were a criminal. The second was a free custody which meant that you were in there under trial or civil. You were kind of waiting for your, your, your court, but presumed to be guilty. And then there was military custody, which was productive. And in other words, you weren't guilty of anything. There was no charges, but the army is there to keep you alive. And so we're holding you in this place. And that's where Paul was. So Lysias was the commander. And, and so Paul's nephew hears this and he comes to Paul, visits Paul. He has access to him. And he says, Paul, I've overheard this. There's a plot to kill you. Paul says to one of the centurions, can you take this young man? And he has a message for the commander. And so the young man goes to the commander and and he tells the commander privately what's going on and the commander says, don't tell anybody. Now, when you look at that whole picture that's going on, Paul hears about the assassination plot on one hand and he doesn't panic. Why? Because of verse 11 and God's promise. You're going to Rome. Take courage. Now, if you were sitting in a jail cell and you hear about a plot that these people have taken an anathema oath to kill you, would you be a little nervous? He says, just go tell the commander. And he's trusting in God. When you hear bad news, what is your first reaction? Oh my gosh world's coming to an end. Or, God's got this. God's got this. The choice to take courage in the midst of a crisis is a cognitive choice. Where you fight back those emotions. Is God sovereign? Yes. How do we know this? One, the nephew hears of the message and comes and brings it to Paul. Lysias, who is the commander over a thousand, listens to this young boy about this account and believes him. Hears the message and says, i got a plan to save him. Now, was Lysias selfishly motivated? For sure. Does he want another riot? No. What happens if Lysias has the Jews and if the Jews are able to take his prisoner and kill his prisoner? What happens to Lysias? Yeah, he's going to be like in Siberia or someplace. Gone. So Lysias is is selfishly motivated within this. But God uses all of this. He brings all of this together for one purpose. To fulfill his will and his promise to Paul. His plan. If you consider your life now, think about all the moving parts that have happened in your life. Are they by chance or are they by design? Where you live, who you've married, the children that you have, the job that you have, all of that, by chance or by sovereign design? The day that you came to faith in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, by chance or by sovereign design? That's how big God is. Far beyond our comprehension and our understanding. God will move people, heaven and earth, to accomplish His will in your life. Why? Because He loves you. In Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God... To those who are called according to His purpose, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome from experience. How did he get to a place where he can say, "I know that all things work together"? Why? Because he went through hell, and he's seeing it all being played out, and coming to that place of confidence where he can trust in the will of God and he can trust in the sovereignty of God. You don't have to be afraid of the future and you don't have to be afraid of what other people might say or do. You don't have to be afraid. Because God's got you. He's got His plan for you. And no one can undermine the will of God. No one. And you say, well, what is the will of God? To honor Him, to love Him, to glorify Him, to be obedient to Him. And in that journey, God is going to reveal Himself in amazing ways. And you'll look at how God moves you from place to place and people to people and meeting with other people. I had the privilege this last week of spending some time with a saint who is uh, about to graduate to be with the Lord. Uh I got to see her on Wednesday and Friday and Saturday. She should graduate any time. Her husband graduated to be with the Lord about four years ago. Her son, 40 years ago. And it was interesting because as the Lord would have it, I actually was in the hospital um, the same time that she was there. and got to meet with the family and I haven't seen her in three years because of COVID and you know, and, and retirement. And it just so happened No, God ordained it and God plans these things and God's chosen specific events and how to protect you and to keep you. Verses 23 to 35 really lays out for Paul these events within this. We pick up in verse 23, after the commander hears all of this, he called them centurions to himself and he get 200 soldiers ready in the third hour or nine o'clock at night. To proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. God is going to move on other people to protect Paul. (coughs) 9 o'clock at night, he hears the news and he says, I want 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 javelin throwers. The the term is literally right-handed throwers. These were javelin throwers. Okay, that's 470 soldiers for who? One guy. (laughs) One Jewish guy, 470 soldiers, to move him where? 60 miles north to Caesarea. Do you think God is exercising a little bit of muscle at this point? I think so. Can you imagine those 40 Jews going, oh no, (laughs) this isn't going to work out so good. So this commander he orders him to go to Caesarea why to Caesarea as i said he had to get him out of Jerusalem one because it wasn't safe for Paul and he wasn't going to lose a prisoner on his watch two Caesarea is the the roman capital for Judea Caesarea was is is the the headplate when we go to Israel next march we'll go to Caesarea and we'll see. It was a little Rome that was there. It was there's a, a Herod's palace was there, a hippodrome was there, theater. Everything was there. It's an amazing sight. A Roman and, and Roman fortress that is there. And so you have all of these people that are there. And what is God doing in His sovereignty? He is saying you can't touch Him. So Satan would want Paul destroyed. Can you imagine if if Paul would have got killed by this time, we wouldn't have two thirds of the New Testament. We wouldn't have all the theology that we have today. God's got a plan. And He says, you're going to Rome. And nobody is going to stop that. Not, not 40 Jews that have an oath. They'll go hungry before they hurt Paul. So He gathers all. And can you imagine that movement? Now they're going to Caesarea. And God foreordaining Felix to receive Paul. Now, who's Felix? Well, we know based on Scripture in the New Testament, there were three governors that we know of that are mentioned. We have Pontius Pilate, A.D. 26 to 36. Antonius Felix, which is the guy that Paul's going to see, A.D. 52 to 60. And then Felix loses his job, and Porcius Festus will come in at A.D. 60 to 62. And so as the commander says, get the troops together, pack them up, and I'm going to write a letter. Well, what's the letter? The letter is kind of like a military report. The commander has to send a military report. Why do I have 470 guys going with one guy? That's And so he writes this report. It's a handoff report that is there. And he starts out the letter, Most Excellent Felix, which was really this this place. Felix, by the way, was not a very good governor. He was once a slave that moved up through the ranks into being a free man. And he ended up getting his position, not because he was somebody special, but because his brother... Paulos was a friend of Nero and says, hey, Nero, I've got a brother that really needs to be a governor someplace. Could you make him be governor? He says, well, I got this little dirt pile called Judea. I think I'll send him over there. So that's how he ended up there. But Felix was not a good guy. In fact, when you read about Felix, he was married three times. One One of his brides, he was a womanizer. One of his brides was the daughter of Antonio and Cleopatra. And his wife now is Drusilla. But we gotta understand we don't have to be afraid because God will take care of you. So he sends him on his way. Now, halfway from Jerusalem to Caesarea is a is a fortress called Antropos. In the old testament it was called Aphek. You can read about it in Joshua twelve eighteen and first Samuel four one and verse twenty nine. Herod the Great rebuilt this fortress after his father Antipur within this. And so it was this halfway point. So they go 35 miles north, which was a good day's journey, but they march overnight. So they're leaving at 9 p.m. They march overnight. They get there. They get to the fortress, and they get out of harm's way. Then they send the 400 soldiers back to Jerusalem. Why? There's a lot of Jews there. The 70 horsemen are moving forward, and are going to escort Paul all the way up to go see Felix. That is there, who is the procreator, procreator there, the governor of that time within this. And one of the things that we understand, too, that, as I said earlier, Felix lost his job. In Acts 24:27, it says, But after two years passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcus Festus and wishing to do the Jews a favor. Now, keep in mind with that, because that is going to be something... That ends up happening. He gets there and he writes this letter. And he says, here's the letter. Now, have you ever met somebody that wanted to not tell the whole truth but make themselves look good? So he writes this letter and notice what he says in verse 27. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops, rescued him. Notice the words, rescued him. And having learned he was a Roman... What is he leaving out? What's he leaving out of the letter? How did he learn that Paul was a Roman? He stretched him out on a pole and was about to beat him. And Paul says, is it lawful to beat a Roman? He doesn't say I arrested him. He didn't say I was about to illegally beat him. He just made it look like he was the hero question does it really matter no why because we can trust in god however god decides to use people to protect you to move you to get you to that place let it be between them and god just look at the outcome and what's happening and so within this paul you know he could have gone there and said hey you know i heard about this letter and this, that's not what really happened he didn't need to clarify the details but within this, he wanted to ascertain, he takes, him to the, he takes him to the council, and he says, I found him to be accused over a question of their law, but nothing worth death. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, instructing the accusers to bring him there. So what he was saying is, this is why he's here. He's here to be able to stand charge. And I'm going to send his accusers later within this. I'm getting him out of town. So at this time, we see that, that Paul is sent there, and the soldiers, in accordance with the orders, they take Paul and they bring him in by night to Antropos, and the next day they all leave, and they move on. They read the letter, and Felix says, I'll give you a hearing after your accusers arrive there. It would be two years that Paul would be in prison in Caesarea. Under house arrest. And we in our mind, we're like, you know we want a quick and speedy trial, right? No, not necessarily. It was God's plan and God's design that Paul would be in Caesarea. Why? For two years he would be there in Caesarea as a witness and under house arrest which meant he really couldn't go anywhere, but people could come see him, including Felix. As we get into chapter 24, we're going to see how, for two years, Paul almost converts him. Almost has that opportunity. And you think about Philip that is there in the town and all the other Christians that are there and the opportunity for Paul to have, to be in that place, to be that that witness. Under house arrest. You may not like where God brings you. You may not like the journey. It may be rough. There may be some pain involved. There may be some difficulties and there may be some people that that are pushing in that you say it's not fair, it's not right and what they're doing and all of these things. It may be a hard go. But within that, you can find God's plan and purpose wherever He's got you. Paul will be there for two years and then he'll move on to Rome. You may be in a place where God's got you for a short period of time that you don't like. But what can you do that is there? I had the opportunity in visiting somebody in the hospital who was very upset. God, why do I have to keep coming back to this hospital room? Been in the hospital three times. Three different surgeries in the last six months. And, and, And I don't like it. And I asked her this question. I said, well, why do you think God's giving you the opportunity to be in this hospital bed? She looked at me like, you're an idiot. (laughs) And then she thought for a moment. I said, are there other people that you could talk to while you're here? How many nurses and how many doctors come through here? How many people come through here? And so within this. She got to realize that wherever she is in her sickness and her illness, that she gets to share Jesus. Paul was imprisoned under house arrest in the largest seaport in Judea. High traffic. And he has that opportunity for people to come because he's he's not charged with anything. Now, Felix... He's pushing it off because he wants to bribe the Jews and make money off it. You know what? That's Felix's gig. That's not on Paul. Wherever you find yourself, don't be afraid. Trust God that he's got a plan. And don't be afraid of the future. Because the plan that God has for you will happen according to his will. And nothing will undermine that. Nothing will change that. And if God is a loving God, and he is, and if God's a good God, and he is, then whatever God is doing in your life is, is going to be good, and it's going to be from a loving heart. And you look for those opportunities. And when you're worried about how other people are treating or responding to you, don't worry about it. God is working behind the scenes always, always. Behind the scenes. And He has your best interest at heart. Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You that we don't have to be afraid. Because God, You will fulfill Your will. God, we don't have to worry because You foreordained people to be part of the plan and the process in our lives. God, You are orchestrating our days, our months, our years, and our whole life according to Your will and for Your glory. God, You have set a plan for us And your purposes are sure. And we can trust in you in all things. Because you've proven yourself to be faithful. And when your plan is complete for us on this earth, you'll take us home. When our work is done, then you'll bring us to yourself. That is the ultimate goal. To glorify you here on earth. And to worship you in heaven. We thank you and we praise you for our time. Lord, as we close out our time, may we rest in the hands of a loving God.
1: This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. For the cross. Let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. Remember that fear that took our breath away. Made so weak that we could barely. Every word, every whisper Now these fathers in Jesus who pulled me out of that grave. He did. He did. Who paid for all of our sin. Nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave. Yahweh. Yahweh. Who gets the glory and praise. Nobody but Jesus who rescued me from that grave. Yahweh. Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise? Nobody but Him. This is my God. This is You. Who- heaven "This is our God,
2: Jesus." God, you're amazing in every sense of the word. It blows my mind. I can't comprehend how you can always be at work, guiding. Everything in this universe and be so close to me and fulfilling the plan for my life in the same way, in the same level that you are for every individual in this room or those watching online. We can trust in you. In fact, you're the only one we can trust in. You have us. You know us. You made us. You love us. You redeemed us. May we rest in your hands. May we rest in your sovereignty and not worry what other people might say or think. Because, God, you got this. As we go out this week, may we walk in confidence and not be afraid. And may everything that we say and do make you smile. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m.